I'll do that. Um, Ephesians chapter 5, and I'm going to read one verse, verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So, you know, as uh, Andy takes uh, uh, the, the leaders and the youth on this mission trip, uh, there were two buses and a pickup truck. The pickup truck was filled with their suitcases and the buses, uh, they're small buses. So uh, they headed on down the road, 22 youth, I think, and six adults or something like that, um, and uh, headed on down the highway. And you know that along the way, that there's going to be some things that they decide that, you know, these are the boundaries, and, and Andy's going to share with them some of those boundaries. Here are the rules, here are the regulations, and things like that. Um, there, there are some things that they have to establish ahead of time that, that, that should be obvious. I mean, there, there's some things in life that should be obvious, but, but we know that, that we get disclaimers or, or, or legal reminders on boxes of products that we buy because somebody used it the wrong way. You know, the classic story of the guy who, who uh, electrocuted himself in the bathtub because he was using his toaster at the same time. I mean, some things ought to be obvious. I mean, how many of us just sit there and go, oh, man, I need to kick back in the bathtub and have a Pop-Tart? It, it just... It, I don't, I, but some of those rules uh, that they'll establish ought to be obvious, but Andy's been doing this for a while, and so he probably feels like there's some things that you just have to say that ought to go unsaid, but maybe they shouldn't. <laughs> I, when I was uh, running camps for church camps uh, for so many years, um, I, I learned along the way some things that just had to be said. I mean, throwing rocks at each other should be obvious, but every year at camp, that was a thing. And so I developed this list of rules uh, that I would share with the campers ahead of time at the beginning of camp to say, you know, here are the boundaries, here are the rules. We, we got we to gotta establish these as, as the, the borders that we have to stay within. And um, some of the things, you know, I, I always told them no boyfriends and girlfriends at camp. Um, but that was a goal. Um, some of these things are aspirational and not realistic. But um, then there were, there were other things like the, the rock thing. So in order to share don't throw rocks, um, the way I would put it is this. You know, as you arrived in camp today, you noticed that there are rocks everywhere. Not just on the roads, but in the weeds and things like that. And, and I know they look like they were randomly placed throughout camp. However, each rock was put in its place by the U.S. Geological Survey in order to maintain the spin of the earth just perfect. If you pick up and throw a rock, you will throw the earth off of its axis and it will be hurtled into the sun. Don't throw rocks. You know, you had to just make it sort of interesting and fun for them. And one of the other uh, uh, rules was more of a, a health thing for them. We noticed that, uh, you know, when you and I were kids, speaking for some of you, um, okay, so 50 years ago when I was a kid, mom and dad, uh, or just mom, would kick you out of the house at, after breakfast and not expect you back until supper. And if you were lucky, she laid out lunch for you outside. <laughs> um, so you come back like a dog and eat it. But anyway, we were used to the outdoors. But at the time I started doing camps about 25 years ago, um, not quite, but yes, we, we learned that they, youth weren't quite as acclimated 
to the outdoors when they got there. And so having them outdoors the whole time and then um, not having air conditioning, by the way, in the cabins when we first started. I, I later became president of the board of directors for the Missouri United Methodist Camps, and my first edict was we will have air conditioning in sleeping quarters. Um, we accomplished that in some of the camps. Mine they did. Um, so we, uh, we recognized that kids were getting dehydrated. I mean, to the point of headaches and stomach aches, but also heat exhaustion. And I mean, it, it, it was kind of bad there for a while. And so I, I developed this sort of mantra. And if, if you ever meet any of the kids that went to camp with me, they can repeat this with me. And so I'm going to have you join in as we go. I would, I would say, I'm not a doctor. I don't play one on TV. But if you come up to me and say, Dave, I have a headache, I will say, drink water. Okay, you got the tagline there? Let's try it. And the next, they, I, they, I would say, if you come to me and you say, Dave, I have a stomach ache, I would say, drink water. Right, you're getting it. And then if you come up to me and say, Dave, I've broken my arm, I will say, drink water. If you come up to me and say, Dave, I've fallen in the lake and I'm drowning, I would say, drink water and lots of it. That's funny if you just, it'll come to you. Anyway, um, so you just recognize that there, in every life circumstance, when you get together with other people, there are rules, there are, are, are boundaries, there are guidelines. And some of those are pretty clear and obvious, and some of them are not so much. We, we, uh, we have to spell them out for people. I mean, some of them, though, you know, we just know what they are, and, and uh, they help us function as a society or as a, uh, as a, as a small group or a, a community or a, a region or nation, a world. There are some rules, that you, and, and you just have to submit yourself to these, right? If you don't, things get out of line. Submission is, in essence, it's a synonym for obedience or deference, in, in its general use, submission means to yield to another's advice or admonition. In Scripture, it appears in the context of, of describing servanthood and humility and respect and reverence and honor and teachableness and openness. All these things are done for the one purpose, and that is they fulfill our obedience to Christ. Right? From that scripture I read, submit yourself to one another out of reverence for Christ. The idea in all this, when it comes to Christian circles, the idea in all of this is the end point, the end goal of life is a submission to Christ. And when we submit ourselves to one another, it is out of reverence for Christ. And that concept of submission is applied by the biblical writers in various ways. And if you know what comes after Ephesians 5, 21, verse 22, then you know that it's a little bit controversial if you don't read it carefully. 5.22 is, wives, submit yourselves to your husbands. But if you go on a few verses later, it talks about husbands being submitted to their wives. It was about establishing a mutuality of relationship. It wasn't about subservience. It was about caring for one another with Christ being your end goal. Christ in you and Christ in the other. 
So it, it does say in, in there that wives are exhorted to submit themselves to their husbands, and children are admonished to submit to their parents, and Christians are instructed to submit to government authorities, and we're also commanded to submit to the leaders of the church, and servants are instructed to submit themselves to their masters. Now, I want to be quick, though, to point out that those people in positions of authority are commanded to function in their position in a submissive attitude. As I said, with the, the, the husband and wife thing, husbands are directed to love their wife, wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Christ came to serve us. That's the task of the husband. And it was submit to that. It's not, the word's not there to the husbands. That's the problem. It, it, the word should be there for both. It meant a mutuality. And fathers are, are told to submit to their children in the way that they deal with them sensitively. And elders are commissioned to be servant leaders in the church and not lorded over others. And Christian masters are told to treat their servants fairly and, and also sensitively. And so husbands and parents and elders and bosses must conduct themselves with the understanding that they are in submission to God first and then to one another. I would suggest in this whole idea of submitting yourself to one another is before you submit to somebody, you might want to figure out who they're submitted to. This mutual submission, even by those in authority, is a distinctive concept made possible by Jesus Christ. When Christ came into the world, he brought into being a different approach for functional relationships. He, he talks about in the Gentile world, as Jesus called it, that there was no such thing as this mutual submission. You remember when Jesus is, is uh, uh, in ministry with his disciples, and they are arguing over who's going to be the greatest. And Jesus says this to them to straighten them out. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. In Christ, all believers have the responsibility to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Even those who have positions of authority, such as pastors or church leaders, parents, they're all called to relate to each other in an attitude of submission. And this was demonstrated so beautifully and powerfully for us when the Lord Jesus, commander of the universe, creator of the universe, came and became a servant to us all. Paul describes it this way in Philippians, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And, and the Apostle Paul, who, who, who wrote down these observations about Christ who gave us this command to submit to one another also put this command 
into practice in his own life. In, in Acts 21, the story that is told by St. Luke uh, about, about Paul and, and his journeys as he, he went on his missionary journeys throughout that Mediterranean area. And uh, the Bible says that when we arrived at Jerusalem, Paul headed back to Jerusalem uh, from time to time uh, to report in. When we were, uh, arrived at Jerusalem, the brothers received us warmly. The next day, Paul and the rest of us went to see James. Now, James is the brother of Jesus, and James at this point has become one of the authorities of the faith at that time. It was really, it was Peter, who you know from, from one of the apostles, and James, the brother of Jesus. Those two became the authorities of the church in that time. There was the, the church as based in Jerusalem. They were the authorities. And it says, it says uh, they went to see James and all the elders were present. Paul greeted them and reported in detail what God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. He brought a report to share with those who he saw in authority. When they heard this, they praised God, it says. Now, there was a controversy going on at that time, and, and Paul was willing to submit himself to the authority of these others to, to iron out this controversy. And if you study the, the stories of Paul, if you read up on him, you'll find he was a very strong personality who likely struggled with the concept of submitting to anyone else. And yet he did. In the Methodist church, we have this understanding of, of that sense of submission. Um, I'm ordained as an elder in the church. That doesn't give me a position of power. Instead, it gives me the responsibility for submission. I, I, I'm submitted to the doctrine of the church. We got a book that I have to follow called the Book of Discipline. And I'm submitted to the doctrine of the church. And as a pastor, I'm submitted both to my district superintendent, that's my boss over me, and, and, but also the leadership board of the church. And as the leadership board is submitted to, to my spiritual leadership, I'm submitted to their leadership as the leaders of the church. And then the district superintendent is submitted to the bishop. But they also have a, a committee of, of church representatives from the district who, who, who they're submitted to as well. And then the bishop is submitted to a jurisdictional committee, a regional committee, and, and also to fellow bishops, as well as the leadership of the conference. There's supposed to be this mutuality of relationship on through every level of it. I, I serve on the Board of Ordained Ministry. That's the group that, that discerns if somebody has a calling to ministry in the United Methodist Church. And that's the important detail of it. Because one of the things that we find from time to time, if, if you're a Methodist, especially a Methodist pastor, you find that there is a heck of a lot of paperwork and reports all the time that we have to do. We are a bureaucracy for sure. And we function in that way. And so if we have somebody who's, who's applied for ordination and they can't get their paperwork for ordination done in time, we might say, hmm, wonder if this is the right denomination for you. Maybe someplace where you're a little more independent from those rules and reporting structure and all of that. It's not that we say, no, you're not called to ministry. We say, you may be called, that's not up for us to discern, but you're not called to the Methodist church. 
And that happens from time to time, pretty much at least every year. It happens at least once that we say, this is probably not the right place for you. And I've had, I've had friends who, who enter into ministry in, in the United Methodist Church, and we've had some question about them, and then they leave the denomination because they really aren't called to this kind of structure. They aren't called to submit themselves to this structure, to the mutuality of it. And pastors are submitted to one another in their leadership, and they're submitted to the church leadership. And, but let's be clear about what, what I'm talking about when I, when I say submit. And, and I'm going to use the term mutual submission because there is meant to be a, a mutuality around it, a, a sense that, that, that we are submitted to one another because of Christ and submitted to one another in the way of Christ. Mutual submission, then, let's talk about what it's not first. Mutual submission is not being used as a doormat. It's not you being a doormat to somebody else. We do not submit to one another because we have no rights and we are less than them. Instead, as Richard Foster, the author of uh, Celebration of Discipline, uh, wrote years ago, Jesus called us to self-denial without self-hatred. Self-denial is simply a way of coming to understand that we do, not have it, we do not have to have it our own way. Our happiness is not dependent upon getting what we want. Self-denial does not mean loss of our identity, as some suppose. Without our identity, we could not even be subject to each other. Did Jesus lose his identity when he set his faith toward Golgotha? That means toward the cross. Did Peter lose his identity when he responded to Jesus' cross-bearing command, follow me? Did Paul lose his identity when he committed himself to the one who said, I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name? Of course not. We know the opposite is true. They found their identity in the act of self-denial. Submission is an act of love. Love for God love for ourselves, love for one another. Submitting to one another is certainly not a submission to one another's, to someone other, some other's sin. Let me say that phrase over again. Submitting to one another is certainly not submission to another's sin. It's not allowing someone to abuse us or to abuse someone else in one way or another. And so, first of all, we, we understand that submission, mutual submission is not being used as a doormat. Mutual submission is our attempt to put others first. It's voluntary attitude of giving in, cooperating, and doing what is best for others. Some sub submission, you know, is not voluntary. Uh, if you're doing 90 and a 45, you might get a ticket for that. You should expect to, because if you don't submit to the law and you don't follow it, well, what follows is the ticket or more. When you, when you submit, so um, I, am, I am all in favor of, of um, uh, civil disobedience in issues of injustice. But if I participate, I expect to get arrested. Right? Some of it's not voluntary. But what we're talking about in this is a mutual submission that is voluntary. 
Christian submission is the voluntary act of giving ourselves over to something that is better than our own will. Ultimately, submission flows then from a position of strength and not a position of weakness. Submission is a sign of strength, not of weakness. In John 13, when Jesus washed his disciples' feet, it says that that he knew who he was. Jesus was fully aware of who he was, but also where he was going. And yet, he tied a towel around himself and knelt down and washed his followers' feet and suggested, no, commanded, that that is the example for us. So why is this kind of submission so important? Let me offer two thoughts on it. First, submission fosters freedom. It's, it's one of those oxymorons, one of those things that just doesn't seem to, to fit together, a submission and freedom. But look again how, how Richard Foster puts it. He says, the obsession to demand that things go the way we want them to go is one of the greatest bondages of human society today. People will spend weeks, months, and even years in perpetual stew because some little thing did not go as they wished. They will fuss and fume. They will get mad about it. They will act as if their very life hangs on the issue. They may even get an ulcer over it. In the discipline of submission, we are released to drop the matter, to forget it. Frankly, most things in life are not nearly as important, so important as we think they are. Our lives will not come to an end if this or that will not happen. So submission leads us to freedom. But submission is also the essence of Christianity. Martin Luther says this, A Christian is the most free Lord of all and subject to no one. A Christian is the most dutiful servant to all and subject to everyone. Those are those two things that exist at the same time that don't seem to fit together, and yet they are so completely true. We cannot read the New Testament without coming across the call to lay aside our desires at times for the good of Christ and one another. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Paul said of his his life, Though I am free to belong to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone, to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all men so that by all possible means, I might save some. He submits to others for the purpose of Christ. We have to make sure that is the the end point, the end goal of our submission. Learning to submit ourselves to one another out of reverence for Christ is the best thing we can do for ourselves and for others, for, for Christ and for his church. How does this work in our faith life? In my experience, I see it in in small group life, in in the life where you decide to be together with a group of people. My first experience with that, I mean, there was confirmation and there was Sunday school classes as a kid, but as a a young teenager, um, my brother uh, was home from college and he started a a small group. He and Bruce, a friend of his, started a small group that they invited me to be a part of. Well, of course I'm going to be a part of it. It's my big brother from college inviting me. But it was a group that we had a format. 
we knew that we were going to do these five or six things, and we were going to pray for one another. We were going to read Scripture. Somebody was going to comment on Scripture. We were going to sing, things like that. Um, it was Kumbaya and stuff like that. It was that long ago. And um, probably not, but, um, but there was a rule to it that was easily broken if needed, that we, we were submitted to one another out of care for one another, that we allowed one another to say, you know, just for this day, can we, can we talk about this instead? And we allowed that to take place. Uh, when I, when I uh, grew a little bit older, actually uh, in, in later high school years, uh, there was a teacher, um, Gary Reinwald. I don't know if anybody knows of him. I'd love to know where he ended up. But, but Mr. Reinwald um, was a teacher who, who gathered with some students to pray together. And it was kind of not allowed back then. And, but that was a group that I became a part of that prayed together. And, and uh, I, I was... I was not in a really good place personally, and yet that was an important part that kept me from going too far off the edge. Nancy and I uh, were in a, a small group for a while when we were married. It was a, it was a, we called it a young adults group, uh, although Mary and Jerry, who led the group, they weren't young, but the rest of us were. And, um, uh, and because of this group gathering together and praying and holding each other accountable and submitting to each other, being willing to say to one another, you know, I, I think you're off base on that being able to hear that from somebody. And, and so much, so powerful was that for all of us that except for Mary and Jerry, every one of us, every couple, one of the, one of the members of the couple went into vocational ministry, either as a chaplain or a pastor or something like that. And, and Nancy and I have been in groups together or, or separate groups um, throughout our life in ministry. And it, and it seems, I, I, I won't speak for Nancy, but I know for myself that my faith life grows the strongest, the fastest, the best when I'm in a group that I'm submitted to. We just recently started a, a clergy group. Uh, um, it was, the group was chosen by our district superintendent, and they said, you people get together. And we, we look at each other, we just, done, just this past week, looked at each other and go, who picked this group? Because <laughs> we just aren't at all alike, but we've decided to be together, to submit to one another, to share faith with one another. And I think that's the best way that this all comes together. When you find yourself in a group that's willing to pray for each other, willing to call out each other when faith is not being lived out, being willing to care for one another and build one another up. That that's, works in a small group, but it also works as a church or as a, a wider Christian community when we are submitted to Christ. Amen and amen.